The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 230. Um, what is it? The week of uh, November. We're in November, November 22nd. Yeah, you'd think this would be easier, Rob, because this is take two. Yeah, we just recorded <laughs> this entire newscast, and now we're going to do it again with the uh, with both mics turned on. Uh, hey, Alex, Thanksgiving is this week. Can you believe that? Yeah, Thanksgiving is this week. It's hard to believe it is Thanksgiving already. Rob, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for... Hmm, the great weather we've had. You know, the fact that it's, it stayed nice so long. We haven't had any snow yet. That's true. What about you? What are you thankful for? Uh, you know, I'm thankful we've gotten to take a little bit of a break here. That was yeah. nice. Uh, got a little bit of a time back on Sundays. Um, but here we are back together. You know, another thing that would be nice to talk about this week is our favorite Thanksgiving foods. Mine is stuffing because I don't get stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Rob. Uh, <laughs> I don't get stuffing very much outside of Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of the year on, you just don't find that other places. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? <laughs> you know, uh, for me, you know, anything, you know, sweet or desserty is really, really what I like. Um, <laughs> oh, everybody, you're, you're going to love this, <laughs> this podcast. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> There's a sweet potato dish, and uh, you know, really, it's it's covered in brown sugar and molasses and all this other great stuff. And oh, it's, my it's, wife makes something just like that. Oh, really? I, I really that's crazy. Like that. uh, that's I really, crazy. I really like that. Uh, hey, we have some housekeeping before we jump into uh, to to serious news. Um, uh, do we have a Slack channel? There's we do. Well over two thousand people. Lots of great conversation. Just because we haven't been on the show a lot lately does not mean that there's not great people talking there. You should join by going to colorado-security.com and clicking the Slack button. Also, we have a mailing list. Uh, even when there hasn't been a podcast, we've been you know, mostly sending out uh, notes about things that have been going on during the week so you can get some of this podcast stuff in written form even when we're not talking. Uh, we'd also love if you rated us and subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, hey, tell a friend. Let them know how great Colorado Equals Security is. And if you were happy to support us financially, we would love you to join our Patreon campaign. Also, thanks to our current patrons for supporting us through these years. We love you. All right. Hey, moving into news, uh, we have we have an update on the ongoing Casa Benitas uh, saga. You know, in the last in the last few months since we've talked about it, um, the you know the Trey Parker and Matt Stone you know, acquisition is is really going through. It looks like for sure, and they've announced a new. Uh, head chef who's going to be taking over the kitchen. Yeah, so Dana Rodriguez, who is a, a local chef and has a few restaurants here in town, including Working Class and Super Mega Bien. And I've eaten at Super Mega Bien. It is Super Mega and Bien. She has her um, own mezcal, mezcal brand as well. She does. Yeah, yeah, so maybe you'll be able to get that at Casa Bonita. Um, but she is the new executive chef, and she is working hard to make sure that the food there is going to be good, and also that there will still be sopapillas. Yeah, the uh, so the, the motto of the new partners of, of the South Park um, creators is that they want to make it better, um, and they they really want to figure out how to change nothing but improve everything. It's kind of an interesting model. For yeah, them. yeah, and uh, they're talking about how uh, they are probably going to open in the su- the second half of twenty twenty two, which should give them enough time to do things like you know clean. Yeah. So another interesting thing they were talking about was that it, they as they're looking to. Uh, 
um, to replace, uh, really enhance all of the food. The one thing that they've promised is that they're not going to do away with the sopapillas, which some people seem to like. I do not understand all of you people who think their sopapillas are good. Go have a good sopapilla somewhere, and then maybe you'll realize that they're still terrible, just like their enchiladas are terrible. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, you made the point earlier that they're they're just not as bad as the other stuff that's there. Um, but I think it's also just that they're a, you know, a vehicle for powdered sugar and honey. Yeah, so. just give me a spoon and a bowl of powdered sugar and honey, and I'm pretty happy with it, I guess. Yep. All right. Uh, next up, there is an art exhibit that is coming to town. Uh, a Banksy exhibit with over 100 original artworks is coming to Denver. Yeah, so Banksy is, you know, well known as the... What do you call him? Like the he's like a street artist. The, yeah, street artist, but like anonymous street right, artist. Anonymous and, and no one's yep. supposed to know who he is. Um, he does he does art like the girl with the balloon. I think is maybe his most famous piece of art. Um, and he doesn't do it in museums. He, you know, it's not the easy way to get access to. So these pieces of art are things that were collected by various folks over the years. A hundred plus pieces of art that that they are choosing to exhibit. This is not a Banksy organized or sponsored thing. This is just a bunch of folks who want to share that art. Yeah. And this exhibit is slated to open in the, the middle of April in 22 at a yet to be disclosed venue. Uh, and ticket uh, tickets are going to go on sale here shortly. So if you want to go, you probably should check that out. They're, they're actually on sale now. Oh, they are on sale yeah. now. Uh, by shortly, I mean now. And tickets range between 30 and $110. Good stuff. All right. Well, we had uh, a few weeks ago, two Denver startups both made ABC's Shark Tank in the same show. It was Wedfully and Wad Free. And I was interested to learn about both of these companies. Yeah, Wedfully is a, well, they started out as a, a company that did virtual uh, wedding planning. So you could, you know, connect with someone to help plan your wedding. But through the pandemic, they pivoted a little bit and started doing virtual weddings as well. Uh, so they have now worked with nearly a thousand couples uh, to share weddings with 200,000 guests around the world. It's pretty good. So while they were on the show, um, they pitched, uh, the, you know, getting an investment of $200,000 for a 5% stake in their company. After a little bit of counter offering back and forth, they ended up um, accepting an offer for $200,000 to get 10% of the, the company. And that came from Robert Hershevik. And the second company was called Wad Free. And this is a device that helps your your bed sheets um, stop twisting or uh, you know wadding. wadding when they're in the in the washer so that they get cleaner. Um, and the device is, you know, it's a little sort of square device and you put the corners of the sheets in there. And uh, when I was looking at it, the whole time, I kept thinking, um, well, how do you clean those pieces that are that are in the device? You know, now you have a little little piece of dirty no, that sheet. never even occurred to me. I know. That's a, interesting. That's a, that seems like a real concern. Yeah, it, it is. So on the show, these guys actually also asked for 200000 for a 5% stake in the company. Um, but they they ended up getting their two, uh, 200000 for 5%. But in addition to that, from, is it O'Leary, um, they promised $1.5 per unit they sold up to a million dollar payout to him. So, so that's how they ended up getting their deal. And both companies hopefully did great. I saw that, you know, coming out of this, you know, I think I've always wondered, you know, do they, does the, the worst terms that they get from the sharks uh, make sense for these companies because they, you know, they presumably would have gotten better terms if they just went to some VC investor. Um, and, and I don't know the answer to that. What do you think, Alex? Yeah. Well, you know, that they did say that, um, uh, wad free on the day that this show aired had their best day of sales ever. So, 
you know, I'm thinking that the the built-in sort of marketing and PR you get from the show probably offsets the the worst terms you get from the the VC side. Keen insight there. Yeah, I love it. Uh, moving on, we have acquisition news. Um, WellTalk, local tech slash healthcare company, was acquired um, by Virgin Pulse this uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, WellTalk, you know, they've been a little quiet around town recently. They for uh, a number of years, they were on some of these, you know, fastest growing lists. Um, but, you know, they do health analytics. And uh, Virgin Pulse is also a, a sort of a similar company. I think they do employee engage- engagement around health. Um, so I think now they're going to come together and, and make one uh, bigger and better company. Yeah, well, talks an interesting one. You know, they for years from 2015 to 2019, they made that Forbes fastest growing list and um, where a lot of folks expected them to be Denver's next tech unicorn, something just stopped along the way. I don't know what it was, but they just stopped that that trajectory. Uh, we've known a few of the security folks over there over the years. Um, the, the article does specifically say that the 100 people here in Denver for WellTalk will stay here in Denver. This will be the, still be the, the headquarters for the WellTalk part of the business. Yeah, and uh, Virgin Pulse, their CISO uh, is Chris Kistler, who used to be the, the CISO at uh, Centura Health. Centura, and then he went over to Cognizant. Congratulations yep. to Chris for his... Uh, for his, his company getting to have some more Denver roots. Hopefully de- maybe this convinces him to stick around here instead of leaving us. There you go. Uh, an update on a story we had talked about previously, um, the uh, the Stack House project, which was a, a condo development that they were talking about on Colfax, uh, where it was made up of shipping containers. So there was sort of a, a giant rack for all these shipping containers and you would buy the shipping container and, and live in it there as, as part of this project. Um, sadly, the project has been scrapped. Yeah, it's definitely bummed me out. They were going to be able to put 62 containers in this building. Uh, you know, they have some artist renderings of what it's going to look like. It looked like a neat opportunity and um, affordable housing, actually, where you could buy buy one of these for, I think, just over $100,000. Um, so the, the, the article goes into some really interesting details about um, why this didn't work. You know, one element was that the, the seller wanted to get their money a little bit more quickly than the buyer was able to do it, and that the... Uh, but the more interesting thing to me was that as the 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 people behind this project started to to talk about it publicly, like the kind of thing we were sharing, they got some real resistance from maybe community organizers and local representatives in the government who didn't seem like they wanted this project to happen. Yeah, um, I think the other thing that I noted as part of that the they talked about the developer as um, the the gentleman and his girlfriend were the the team behind this. And that they had never done any sort of development work before. So I think um, probably coming out of this with some lessons learned about, you know, maybe next time on uh, how to do things differently. The uh, the article does mention that, you know, there was going to be 62 homes here. They had 12 deposits already. So they were they were on their way and those are getting refunded. Uh, yeah. Alex, have you got your refund yet? Uh, I'm still waiting on the check in the mail. Yeah, I keep waiting. Keep waiting. <laughs> All right. Next. Uh, we have a story about nine Colorado companies that rank on Deloitte's list of fastest growing tech businesses. So this is another one of those lists we've talked previously, I think, about the Inc. 5000. Um, and so, uh, yeah, nine companies here in Colorado. Rob, do you, you reckon, recognize any of these? I, you know, I just recognize, well, I recognize all nine of them from, from a few minutes ago when we did this. But, but Red Canary made the list. You know, this is where I work now, and Red Canary's had some great growth. I cannot vouch for whether the stats in here are accurate. I I don't even know how they did this, um, but it's but it's neat, neat to be recognized uh, among a list of other companies that I don't know at all. 
Yeah, I think uh, quantum metric and billing platform are two ones that I think we may have talked about yeah. on, on the show before. Um, but yeah, most of them uh, don't recognize. And uh, Red Canary is number 252 out of 500 with a 520% growth rate. Uh, so other companies on the list, Maxwell, Liquid or Liquid. I don't know because there's no U in Liquid. Um, A2 Biopharma, Evolve, Zynex Medical, and Adcelerant. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Next, we have maybe my favorite story of the week, which is a, an announcement of a brand new Colorado security company. Um, this is ra- this is called Radical Defense, and Radical is spelled radically, um, R-A-D-I-C-L. Um, this is a uh, created by Chris Peterson. Chris was uh, one of the co-founders of and the CEO for Logarithm here in town, and and they created a new company and they announced their three million dollar seed round here. Yeah. Um- Correction, he was CTO of well, Logarithm. He was CTO at the end, but he yeah. was CEO. But was he CEO first? Before that, yeah. Before, okay. they, before they brought Fair. in Andy. Okay. Um, and yeah, so the interesting uh, interesting announcement here. There's not a whole lot in the announcement itself. I think they're really just getting the company started. Uh, but the focus of Radical Defense is to help the SMB space uh, to really beef up their security. You know, smaller companies, they really don't have the... Uh, the cash or the the staff that an enterprise company does to be able to to create a a good security program. So uh, hopefully that these guys will be able to help them in that. Yeah, good stuff. I, you know, the the one thing that that I think as I was reading through it that I was uh, I was looking for the whole way was hey, great mission. They're gonna they're gonna help solve state actor threats for SMBs. Um, how are they gonna do it? And as I was reading the, the announcement, I was looking for, hey, we're going to put a new agent on your device, on your endpoints. We're going to give you a network coverage. We're going to be your cloud. There's there's no details about what they're actually going to do. Right. Yeah. So uh, maybe we'll have to get Chris back on the show and uh, do an interview about what they're actually going to do. The, he does have, if you, if you click follow the link in the show notes, he does have a video, 90 seconds or so. It's very stirring, very exciting. It, it, if that doesn't make you want to send some, some uh, seed money to him, I don't know what would. Yep. All right. Uh, next up, Ping Identity has achieved FedRAMP. Uh, process designation. Oh, sorry, in process de- designation for its cloud identity and access management solution, Ping One. Yeah, this this is a, a really big accomplishment, and I'm I'm just really thankful to get to shout this out on the show. Um, as I came into Ping in 2016, you know, one of the maybe the second quarter I was there, we started looking into what FedRAMP would do and what kind of market opportunity was behind it and the level of effort to get it. It was a lot of effort. Uh, we didn't start the work back then. I think work started in 2019 maybe. Um, but just a, a ton of, of really um, good work done by good folks. I want to shout out to Sean Fredrickson, who's who's led the charge, and St- Steve Grierson, who came in and uh, became the pro- the program manager for that. Um, Lauren Russin and uh, Wiley, uh, a lot of a lot of good folks have worked on that project over time, and I'm excited to see where this goes. You know, I know that once you're in process, you can actually get um, you can get customers to sign up. They're they're able to buy, and and so I'm I'm sure this is is driving some big growth for for Ping. Rob was the potential market billions of dollars. Billions, I'm sure it was. Yes. All right, moving along, we have a. Uh, uh, we have a story from Coalfire, which is a, a release about some research that they did jointly with um, Dark Reading. Dark Reading, the well-known analyst firm out there that does all <laughs> kinds of research. I think, you know, maybe using the word research here a little bit loosely as it's more like a survey. Um, but it's a survey of CISOs to understand how their organizational uh, influence is changing and really how their jobs are changing. Yeah, and some interesting uh, notes out of that. First, 20%, excuse me, 27% 
of top security leaders are now reporting to CEOs, which is higher than I have seen in the past. And, you know, frankly, a little surprising to me. Yeah, it's higher. It makes me wonder, you know, who are, who are the people doing the survey? Is it accurate? You know, I, right. I, I don't know enough about the methodology, but, but it, I think it's a good trend to see security leadership moving up in the organization. Um, another interesting thing I pulled out of here was the, the, very, the top reason that CISOs leave an organization is not for more money. Um, it's, it's specifically because they are no longer able to garner support for their security initiatives. Yeah. Uh, I, that was an interesting question for me too. And, you know, uh, I haven't read the entire uh, report and maybe they go into this more, but uh, you know, I, I could see some additional questions stemming off of that one. Is it, you know, is it because um, as you said, Rob, you're no longer um, listened to after you've been around for a certain amount of time, or, you know, is it that um, CISOs are just not as effective as, at their job as they should be? So yeah, hard to know, or, or yeah. maybe because like, frankly, companies get to a, a, a risk posture that they're comfortable with. And, right. and frankly, that might be okay for the company. And this might be an okay situation, but the CISO says, I want to make it better. And the company says, well, we're pretty happy with where we are. It's hard to say. Right. Uh, one other thing to call out here, a local friend of ours, John Hellickson, who is a CXO advisor for Coal Fire. He has a quote in the story. So I thought I'd pull that out, John. Um, CISOs who demonstrate added value to the business will be more likely to receive support. We see positive organizational change when the CISO aligns their security program to business objectives. Agreed. Amen. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on to our last story. Uh, CyberGRX has announcement, an announcement talking about uh, a new service where they're applying machine learning to transform third-party risk management. So, you know, the, the basic idea behind CyberGRX is they create this platform, this this third-party exchange where, where they go out to companies like like Anschutz and they say, Alex, you know, I'm going to give you a security questionnaire and maybe I'm going to send people on site to review what you guys do for security practices. You fill all that out and, and the results of that go to your customers on a do once, use many basis. You know, very similar to the idea of a SOC 2, but it gives you this nice website, this nice portal to do it through and people can sign up and get access to all their different vendors through that one place. So the, the idea behind this machine learning, I, I think, and I'm just trying to read between the lines in this press release is, you know, they get those results from you and, and they use that and, and, and maybe in addition to that, some other third-party data like a BitSight score or, or something else that, that they add up to say, well, what are they, what is Alex likely to say next time we ask these questions? Right. You know, what's, what is the, the 85% confidence uh, response going to look like? Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting, you know, what can you do with that, right? So uh, is 85% confidence, is that good enough? Um, you know, or are the, the 15% that they don't have the right answer to, are, are those the key questions that you need answered? Uh, can you just a ask them those, that subset of questions? Can you, uh, I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know the answer there. I don't think it's there. the percentage of questions. I think it's the confidence with their answers. Yeah. Like we feel 85% confidence. So they don't know which 15% yeah. are not going to be right. I, I really struggle with how you use this kind of a model to, to your point, like, do I, well, the ones I'm really confident, I'm 85% confident that their answers are going to be great. Is that good enough? Right. Like, but what if, what if someone quit? Like, you know, I, it's just, it's really hard to know how I use that, those types of data. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, can you, if you only do these assessments, you know, in a certain amount of time, every year, every two years, every, whatever it is, can you use this insight, you know, in the interim to mm -hmm. see how answers may have changed uh, yeah. or something like that? I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's not to take the place of questionnaires, maybe it's to give you continuous monitoring instead, in which case it's just a net ad, which is, right. which is good, right? Like 
and now I have more information. And, and if I see that thing dip, the predictive index says, well, we think Anschutz's answers are going to get worse. Well, I'm kind of curious why, right? And right. maybe you do more as a result. Who the, knows? Anschutz's questions will not get worse, Rob. Just FYI. <laughs> All right. Uh, those are the stories we have for this week. Uh, so why don't we jump along to events? We have a calendar of events on the website. I'll tell you, there's not a lot to look at past December right now. I think most groups think on a calendar basis. They schedule their events through the end of the year. And somewhere in late December, early January, we'll see 2022 start to flush out. But but there's just a few things left this year. I think there's also still some uncertainty, Rob, about what future events might look like. So yeah, fair point. That could be some of it. So, but we do have a lot of, uh, a handful of things happening in December and most of them are end of year celebrating type things, including on the 1st of December, ACES, the local physical security group is doing their holiday happy hour. On the 3rd, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their annual Star Awards. On the 8th, we have the annual joint holiday uh, get-together between ISACA and ISSA Denver. Um, this is one of my favorite meetings around. It's, it's pretty cool to see the, the two different groups get together and, and you know just have some fun. I, hopefully, you guys can make it. On the 9th, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is doing their annual chapter meeting. And finally, on the 10th, the Let's Talk Software Security Group is getting together to talk about software vulnerability management. All right. That sounds like fun. That's it. So now we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, move over to the feature interview. This, this feature interview is actually the reason that we're doing a podcast this week. We, you know, we, we've taken a few weeks off, but um, we, we were asked to do a keynote uh, at the Avanta CIO CISO event. And we figured, hey, let's record it. Let's sh share it with our community. Yeah. And we had started this process, you know, probably almost two years ago. Um, Avanta had asked us to do the keynote. They do a, an in-person conference in Denver every year. And then, uh, of course, COVID happened. So that got delayed. And uh, we're finally able to meet in person this past week. And, uh, yeah, we did an interview with Diego Silva, the CIO of Gates. And uh, it was a great interview. I'm, I'm sure people will be excited to hear it. Yeah, Diego's doing a lot of good stuff over there. It was good to get to meet him. All right, well, that's it for now. Alex, uh, happy holidays. Enjoy your, your sweet potato casserole. And, yeah, and enjoy the stuffing, Rob. And, and I, I certainly will. All right, sounds good. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Curtis Lexon, the CISO for Pulte Financial Services, and this is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado Security Professionals, by Colorado Security Professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is a very special podcast where we're gonna we're gonna get to talk to you guys here a little bit, and this is also gonna be uh, broadcast out on our our stream afterwards. So I have uh, uh, some some bad news. There actually are three security podcasts in Colorado. We're just the best of the three. Yes, clearly and, the best. Um, one one of the other podcasters, just on a regular basis, uh, he admits that he's the second best. The third guy, uh, he he doesn't know he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. These are, these are all true facts. These are all true facts, guys. Um, Alex, you want to say anything before we get kicked off? No, I'm excited to be here. Uh, great to see all of you guys. Uh, excited to be doing this in, in person, and uh, great to see everybody. All right. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, why the Colorado Security Podcast, or Colorado Security Equal Security Movement exists. You know, Alex and I have, uh, have been member, pretty, pretty uh, involved members of the community for well over a decade. Um, and I, I think the most, the best way to talk about what we've been trying to accomplish with this movement is to, is to just take a take the perspective of what's changed. Um, when I first um, really made a serious transition from being an IT guy to a security person, I'm like, all right, well, what things are there for me to do in Denver 
for security. How do I get plugged in? How do I get, how do I get to know the, the, the community? Um, so I used you know, the best research method I'm aware of, which is Googling it. And, uh, and what the Google did is it found me ISSA and ISACA. Those are two pretty good, you know, pretty good groups in town. Um, and, and I went and got plugged. I actually went to both of them, tried them out. I'm like, well, ISSA is a little bit better fit for me. Alex actually walked up to me at a meeting. He was president at the time. And he's like, he shook everyone's hand and he shook my hand. And I'm like, well, I should, I should get plugged in. I said, I think I sent an email and said, uh, hey, I'd like, to, um, I'd like to volunteer. And I was thinking like, oh, I'll like sit, sit at a desk somewhere. He's like, well, we got four open board positions. Which board position do you want? You're hired. <laughs> so so if you, by the way, if you ever want to volunteer, it's pretty easy to do. Um, so, but, but the, the, you know, fast forward from there five years and, and I started to see this whole world of things other than ISSA and ISACA that were happening in the community. Um, there's there's the, the Den Hack space, there's the 303 group, there's CSA and there's OWASP and, and all these other communities that did not show up with my very advanced Google food that I did. And we realized not only are these formal groups there, but there's all these other things that we want to, that people should know about. If you move to Denver and you want to get plugged in with the Colorado security community, how do you do it? It was, it was very, it was hidden. It, it was the expectation that you're going to spend three years learning what the community looks like before you get plugged in. And we said, that's a problem we can fix. So Alex and I, who had both at, at different times served as president of ISSA, decided um, let's, let's create a place where we can amplify the good stuff that's already happening in town and help make a, make a community out of this. Um, we've, we, we, one of the things we do is help get security leaders together for dinner. So you know, either, either you're already a part of it or if you're not, you should be. Um, or, or maybe if you're a CIO, you have CISOs who you should get involved with this thing. We've been doing that, and then we've, uh, you know, we're really just looking at success as being, letting the community know what's going on, and frankly, letting the rest of the country know that Colorado has a, has a pretty awesome security community. So how did this really manifest itself? You know, what is it that we're actually doing? And there are a few pieces to Colorado equals security. So um, I think as Rob mentioned, we didn't want to try and do things that were already being done, but really just to amplify everything that was already out there. So what is Colorado equals security? For one, it, it, it's a website. So we have uh, a number of things on those websites, uh, the website including uh, a, an event calendar. So we're, we're taking everything that's going on in town, um, putting it all together there. A listing of all of the groups that we have uh, in town, whether that's ISSA, ISACA, CSA, other things like that. Um, and we also have a, a Colorado um, security company listing. So if there are, are security companies based in Colorado, then we're, we're getting information about those and, and posting them on the website as well. Um, we have a weekly newsletter, so we send out information, we curate news, we talk about jobs, we, uh, we do a bunch of other things like that to, to try and get word out to the community about what is going on. I think one of the most successful things, which uh, was not something that we had when we started, but we have a, a community Slack workspace. And this, it's basically open to anyone uh, in Colorado interested in security. So pretty easy uh, entrance criteria, but we've got over 2,000 people that are in that Slack workspace, and it's, it's created a really great uh, communication method, a lot of conversation. Um, you know, it's branched out in all kinds of different ways that I don't think that we were really expecting as part of that. And then, of course, uh, the final thing is the podcast. So that was one of the first things that we started, and we really just wanted a way to broadcast out all of these different things that were going on in the, the security community here in Colorado. And uh, the podcast has also been a great success. It's, you know, it's been over four years, and we've got 
uh, 220-ish, I think, uh, episodes under our belts. And, you know, we've done that more or less nonstop every week for the, the past four years. So that it's been a lot of fun. Well, so, I think that's it. So, so generally on the podcast, we do a little bit of news, and then we have a feature interview where we talk and get to know someone in the community, and that's what we get to do with Diego. So Diego, would you come on up? No. <laughs> Welcome. Thank we're, you. Welcome, uh, Diego. We're super excited to get to know you better. Excellent. Thanks right. for being with us. So one, one of the things, you know, we all are so defined by, by our jobs and by this industry we're in. It's really nice to, to get to know someone as a human a little bit. So before we jump into all of what you do and your very impressive resume, I want to talk about a, a different accomplishment you've got. Um, I, I understand that you have, you have taken it upon yourself to, to, to do, to do a, a physical endeavor that maybe you couldn't have done most of your life and you're doing it in multiple places. Why don't you tell us what you've accomplished? Sure, I think you're talking about the, uh, the marathon. Um, so um, I had the uh, opportunity, I started in London, I, I lived in, in England for, for 10 years to, uh, to, to run my first marathon. And um, I grew up with asthma, so I couldn't run for a long time. Uh, so it was a difficult challenge. And then um, we, we had a number of friends in London and this particular family that they had a, a situation um, in, in the family. And this opportunity came to run the London Marathon to support a, a, a charity or a research institution that um, looks at uh, research into mitochondria disease and uh, to raise funds for this uh, charity. So I decided to jump into, into it, uh, run the marathon, and then I decided to keep that, that going. And I, I ended up running three marathons in three different continents in South America and my home country. Uruguay and also in the in the U.S. in Dallas. Now that I move into Colorado, I need to. Uh, I guess the next one is going to be coming. Uh, I need to train at, at altitude now, so I need to get ready for that. Uh, but again, I mean, every time I run this marathon was about also raising money, uh, funds and yeah. money for, uh, usually for um, uh, kids, uh, hospitals uh, that, that support kids or research into genetic disease, like in, in this case. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome to know how, how much you, you must have put an awful lot of training into that and such yep. a cool thing. You know, pro tip, train here and just go run somewhere else. It's going to feel like a breeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's wonderful. Since I've run marathons on zero continents, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm very impressed. Um, I'm, I was not built for running. Um, but, uh, but with that, let, let's get to know you. So uh, maybe first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up? Sure. Uh, so as I said, I, I was raised and born in Uruguay, a small country in South America, um, 3.4 million people, so quite small. Mm. Um, but it's quite known around the world because of uh, we won the, uh, uh, the Soccer World Cup four times, um, and that's a, a big thing for us. Um, also, we have 3.4 million people, but we have 12 million cows in the country, so it's like, like a country of cows with some people on, mm. on it. Um, but one of the interesting statistics that it also ties into IT and, and the cyber community is it's actually one of the uh, top three uh, countries in software exports per capita. And um, they started a program uh, a number of years ago, actually 15 years ago, where every kid that goes to school gets, even the public education gets a laptop. So now we have, after 15 years, we have an entire generation that they use computers, they're familiar with that. And um, looking at the uh, at the IT industry and cybersecurity, 
or created a nice community there. Um, but my story started before that, right? I'm, I'm a little bit older than, than that. Uh, and I started with, um, when I got my first PC, I was nine years old, and I started programming. And I started programming, database, um, and then when I was 15, I had this summer job, and I jumped into this company, um, and I realized that their system that they were using uh, to manage customers was not really good. Uh, so I offered them to uh, develop a system for them. That was my first gig. $300 was a lot of money at that time. Um, and that's how I started you know, having customers, developing systems for companies. When I was 18, I had the opportunity to open an internet startup, uh, an ISP, um, and we offer internet access, and web design, collocation, um, everything that comes uh, into that. Um, and one interesting story, this was in 1995, so it was a few years after the internet came. Uh, in 1997, I had the, uh, uh, my first uh, play with cybersecurity. I faced my first uh, incident. It was a denial of service attack, 1997. We didn't know what it was. We just saw this uh, huge amount of traffic in the network. And a few years later, we got to know that that's called denial of service attack. Um, and since then, you know, over the past 20, 25 years, I've seen a lot of uh, security incidents, uh, but cybersecurity has been close to me since, since then. So I ran that ISP for a number of years, uh, and then I came to the US. Uh, I did my, um, I wanted to do a master's degree to get the business side uh, of it, uh, so I went to UT in Austin, did my MBA. I joined uh, a big global manufacturing company in Dallas right after the MBA. And then I had the opportunity to run a massive transformation through the company. I went to Europe to, uh, to help that. Uh, initially became responsible for um, a number of locations in the north of Europe, then the, the rest of Europe, then Europe, Middle East, Africa, a number of continents. Became the CIO, the mini CIO for one of the divisions. And then it was the time for me to come back to the US so after spending 10 years in, in Europe. I came back to, to the US uh, four years ago initially to Texas, um, and then early, early this year, Gates um, reached out to me with a great opportunity, and that's when I decided to jump, mm -hmm. come to Colorado, to Denver, and I moved here in May this year. Was the goal always to end up in a CIO role like you are today, or, or did you have different goals earlier on? I knew I, knew I was going to probably end up there. It was not something that I was uh, really pushing to get there every time through me, my career. I was just focusing on learning something new and doing great at, at what I was doing. Uh, and of course, the opportunity just kept coming and I always uh, started moving up. Um, but I, I got to a point um, early this year or after, you know, I, in my last company, I've been there for 15 years. And although every two years there was something new, it was a different region, it was a different challenge, um, I realized that I've been pretty much through, you know, all the areas of IT. And I said, okay, maybe this is the time when I should do the change and jump into the CAO. And uh, when Gates came, that was the, the opportunity. Yeah. So you had the chance to come into Gates earlier this year, about five months ago, four months ago, something Six like months. that? Yep. Um, well, as you come in there, your first time as a CIO, as the big, the big boss, CIO, mm -hmm. um, what was your plan? How did, how did you come in and think you were going to tackle the challenge? Yeah, so as Everybody says uh, you spend the first month listening and getting to know people. Um, I will say the first month is more about drinking from the fire hose. You get a lot of information. You try to figure out 
what are the, the opportunities in the company, what you can do to, to really change the company. And you start to see also small fires here and there, and you try to identify, okay, which one is, is gonna be the priority, which one's gonna burn faster, and you need to attack first, and which one you can delay a little bit. So I started you know, looking at the, uh, at, at the business, getting to know the, the ELT, uh, understanding the business, understanding some of the, 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 the changes that we could drive inside the, the organization. I started to look at the, uh, also, you know, internally, um, I look at people, processes, technology, so the, the, the team that I have, the processes that we run in IT, the technology that we use, and then based on that, um, we start setting some priorities on the things that you want to change and transform. And um, there is a number of areas that, you know, um, I focus on, I mean, cybersecurity was, for example, one of them. Um, and since then, last six months have been a fantastic journey, driving some transformation inside the company. So in the last six months, you know, I'm sure you looked at coming in the door, are there some big wins I could get early to, to add quick value to the company? Have you, have you identified, have you had any successes so far you can share? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, let's start with uh, the digital side and customer facing. Um, a massive amount of improvements in this area. So, for example, we, we we consolidated the, uh, the number of CRM systems that we have into one, so we did a massive um, uh, consolidation, so now the entire company is running the same CRM system. On the, um, on the digital side, our e-commerce e presence, the, the way we interact with our customers, distributors, also we, we release new versions of the, uh, uh, our front end and the way we, we manage that business. Um, IoT, we also did a number of improvements on the IoT. Um, Infrastructure, I also look at the uh, infrastructure across the company with the massive improvements on servers, PCs, I mean, 4,000 PCs around the world. We, we upgraded that as, as an example. Cybersecurity, actually cyber was one of the biggest priorities. I mean, as, you, as we've seen this year, um, it was a, there was a lot of focus from all companies on cybersecurity. There was a number of important cyber events that uh, brought the focus into it. Uh, so things like starting from multi-factor authentication, we were, which we rolled out in 45 days with the team. Wow. I mean, I have an amazing team that did a, did a great job with that. Um, endpoint protection, uh, server protections, um, you know, web protection, everything. Actually, our BitSight score, we have BitSight here in the room, um, we managed to increase that from 520 to 700 only in five months. So it was a massive improvement on cybersecurity. Um, but I think the biggest win for me, more than these individual elements and, and, and things that we managed to change in the company, is that I think, I think we managed to create an amazing team now that it's, um, you know, it's really collaborating, it's working as one. And after six months, we are at a point in time where we can drive and accelerate this, this transformation. I have done a, a number of changes in my organization. Um, so when I came into organization, <coughs> I found that it was quite fragmented. We were organized by regions and by sites. And one of the first things that I did is I changed the organization to run as an enterprise. I created verticals for infrastructure operations, for application, cybersecurity is already some vertical, also digital. And with that, we can now drive standards across the company in, in a much faster way. I mean, I went from four direct reports to eight direct reports. So I pretty much doubled the, the number of direct reports and approximately 50% of our organization now reports even into a different um, in, in, into a different line. 
Um, so now it, I feel that we have a, an amazing team that is going to help us get into the next, next stage of transformation of Gates. Diego, that it's, in six months, that's an awful lot of things you just said. That's a lot of work you've done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you said now you're going to accelerate and you're going to go faster? Uh, yeah, Holy we're, smokes, we're just man. starting the journey. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of people in their whole careers as CIO <laughs> probably don't uh, upgrade and uh, renew 4,000 PCs and, and servers. So just that by itself in six months. Pretty it's cool. Pretty, pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. So uh, thinking about security, you know, oftentimes there, historically there has been friction between IT teams and security teams. Um, it, it seems like you know, security has been uh, something that's been you know, part of your journey uh, as you've progressed. You know, what's your take on that and, and how have you made sure that security and IT are, are working hand in hand instead of uh, fighting each other? Yeah, I think, I think that's a, a great question. I think um, that friction is not needed. Uh, and, you know, in my experience, I think this is the role of the leadership team, and in this case of the CAO, to make sure that he creates a bridge and that, that friction goes away. Um, one of the things that I've seen in my, in, my, in my experience is that sometimes when we look at the role of the CAO, uh, sorry, the, C, the, the role of the CISO, um, Sometimes he, he, he plays the role of being like an auditor, right? So he goes through the company and says, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. And then we take that, gives that to the IT organization, and then the IT organization needs to go and try to fix. And when we look at the IT organization, usually their focus is, is uptime, is you know, making sure we don't disrupt the business. So I'm not gonna put the patch, because if I put the patch, I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, and I think, Sometimes that's, that's what creates some of the friction. Um, so what, I mean, for me, uh, th this is a leadership, something the leadership needs to address and the CIO needs to address. Bridge, bridge that, create a bridge between both of them. Get both organizations and get their entire next line, the entire organization to work as one team that collaborates. Um, if I look at the CISO, the CISO needs to uh, have skin in the game, cannot be an auditor. He needs to have the ability to influence and drive change in the organization. He needs to be able to speak to the CIO, speak to the leadership team, and say, we need to do these investments because of ABC, and then influence the organization to be able to drive those changes. And then you have the execution arm on the IT side, which also the CIO needs to say, this weekend we are going to install patches. And I know that 98% of those patches will go fine, probably 2% are gonna fail and it's gonna be fine. We're gonna address it, we're just gonna have a team that's gonna respond quickly, and we're gonna address it so we don't have a, uh, an outage or downtime in the organization. So I think I, I've seen some of that friction before. I think um, you know, it's, it's the role of the CIO to create a team that collaborates and work uh, together. Um, and by creating that, that, type, that type of organization, I think you're gonna have a much more efficient um, security organization that, that you can really have. Usually, if you look at cybersecurity team, those are really small teams. But then you look at the infrastructure team, operations, the applications team, those are much bigger teams. And those are the ones that really can look after the application, look after infrastructure, do the upgrades to the operating systems. You need to make sure that they drive the change. The CISO will help and guide and tell you what the priority is, what you should do first, second, third. But then, um, Everybody needs to work to a team uh, and execute. Um, and this is one of the things that, at least at Gates, um, I've, been, I've been pushing uh, in, over the last six months, and I think this is one of the reasons why 
we've been so successful, going back to your point about speed, how we managed to get that much speed in, in just a short period of time, because everybody works as one. That's great. I think in, in some instances um, where there hasn't been that leadership support historically, some security teams have felt like um, they would be better off not being in the IT organization, being separate, um, you know, having a, a bigger voice to leadership and other things like that. What's your feeling on security living either in the IT organization or living outside of the IT organization? Maybe the trade-offs really mm -hmm. into that. Yeah, I think, um, so in my experience, uh, always I always had security living in the IT organization, and I think that's the correct place for, for security. Um, one of the advantages that IT has is that um, it has the ability to see all the processes in the organization. It supports all the functions, and is, is, is probably a function that can speak the most, in the most fluent way about you know, how we operate as a company. So when we look at security and how do we optimize processes and how do we secure process, processes, I think IT is in a unique position to, to be able to be effective at um, you know, securing and, and protecting the company. And for me, this is the reason why I think the security team needs to be part of that. It needs to be one, one, one team. I mean, they, they have the skills, they know what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, they know what the priority is. They, they are close to the um, IT team that can drive those changes. Um, so having them working as a team, I think is the most effective setup. My concern is that if you have them separate, it's a, it's a different team, it becomes this auditor situation, that they're just gonna go and say this is good, bad, and ugly. Um, but then when we look at fixing that, you start to see these frictions between the different groups and throwing things over the fence. So that's, that's my personal opinion. I think those, those, those two teams should be one. Mm -hmm. together. Thank you. Uh, you know, I get to talk about the future. You know, as you look, as you look into to how your program is going to change over the next you know, 24 months, five years, you tell me what time frame makes sense. What trends do you see coming that have you excited for the future of IT? So I think, I think the first trend that is exciting and I should be excited for everybody is that um, every company now is becoming a digital company. And what this is making is for everybody from this CIO to the individual contributor that just joined the company, we have an opportunity to drive change and transformation and really reinvent our companies, especially traditional companies. Um, so IT for a long time has been sitting on the, on the back seat. Now we have an opportunity to be in the driver's seat. Um, I mean, it's in every single ELT meeting. Um, it, the CIO can articulate the art of the possible. And we have this opportunity that we never had before to really drive change and, and, and make a difference. I mean, some of the conversations we, we had today were around um, you know, how COVID um, uh, really changed the landscape and how all our organizations look at IT to make sure people can work from home. Um, lots of investments came into IT, but it's not just because of the because of COVID. It's just the fact that the, the environment is changing and, and, and companies need to reinvent themselves. So I think I think we are number one is we're in an incredible time uh, for IT, and we need to take advantage of, of this this opportunity. I think the other trend that I'm I'm seeing is that we we're moving from control into governance. So in the last 10 years, uh, a lot of the uh, policies around IT have been about trying to get control. When we think about shadow IT, how do we bring everything together? 
cybersecurity. How do we make sure we control the entire environment? It all comes together. Uh, but the reality is that when we look at IT organizations, they are quite small. And every company, to my previous point, they're trying to become digital companies. So now we start to see all these business technologies in, 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 the, in the organization. We have data scientists. We have BI analysts. We have people that are not part of the IT organization. So I think one of the critical changes for us is to think about instead of how do we control, is how do we move into a new organization, we, we set up the rules, and we can govern, and we can um, have a force multiplier in the sense that we have the IT organization, but we also have the business driving some of the IT uh, initiatives for us, and we collaborate, we work together, and we are able to accelerate some of the change in the, in the company. So that, I think that's a, a, a change in philosophy, a management style, and I think for a lot of CIOs it's gonna be a, um, uh, an, an, an interesting uh, dynamic. Um, another change that I see is on the automation side. Uh, so we need to automate more and more and more. Uh, the, I mean, it's, it's a necessity when we look at the landscape right now, the number of job open, op, opens, openings that we have in IT is, is huge. There isn't enough people for everything that we want to do. Um, and one of the solutions to that is automate. Um, not only because um, we, can, you know, we can get the low value uh, task and you know, get people to focus on the ones that are more value, but also we free up capacity, we manage to reduce costs, so it makes business sense, it makes IT sense, and it's actually much better for, for our teams. They're gonna be working on things that are more uh, exciting. And I think the last trend, which is not uh, new, but we, we, we saw this accelerate in the last two years, is the, the way we're gonna uh, work uh, going forward, right? Uh, it's not about the location anymore, it's about the skill, where the person is located, um, so uh, the, the different teams that we're gonna have around the world. The interesting thing is that if we look at IT, this started 20 years ago in IT, when we started doing outsourcing to different countries. So I think in the IT function, we're more used to working remote and having this more dynamic style, but it's something that's new for the business. And I think that um, that way of operation is gonna, is gonna is gonna bring some new opportunities that we have not seen before. So I would say those, I, I think those are four uh, key um, changes that we're seeing right now in IT that are gonna totally transform the, uh, the industry. I think we have an amazing opportunity right now. We need to cap really capitalize on this. Um, the future is on our hands, depends on what we want to do. So kind of a follow up on those, you know, as you think about those four categories, is there one of them that you can give us a takeaway, like here's the thing you can do to get prepared to go after that thing? Yeah, I think, I think I'm gonna go to the first one, uh, which is IT being in the driver's seat. Um, I think um, one of the things that we need to focus on is um, don't be afraid of challenging the status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I see in organizations, especially in traditional organizations, is this resistance to change. Um, Make sure that you empower your team. You create a team that is empowered to drive those changes. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's what's gonna really, really move the needle. Uh, it's gonna create an amazing amount of value. The business is gonna see IT making that contribution. Um, and it's, it's really what's, what's gonna be uh, great for all of us. So uh, build the right team, empower them, let them um, you know, try new things, uh, one of the things that I said in my uh, first communication to my team as, a, as I came into Gates, I sent this email to everybody. I said, look, we're gonna move faster. We're gonna accelerate a few things. 
We're going to learn new things. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. But we're going to learn from that, and we're going to move forward. And I think that's, that's the key message here. Don't be afraid to make, you know, make changes and drive and make mistakes and learn. We, we are getting a green card now to do it. So we need to take that opportunity and move forward. Good. Yeah, <clears throat> one of the things that you mentioned in there was around uh, digital transformation. And you know, now everything is, is some sort of a digital or IT function. Uh, you know, every business process has it involved in it. That means that now that every one of those businesses, business process has data, is data driven, mm -hmm. right? So how do you make sure that you are uh, first of all, at the basic level, you know, doing good governance around all of that data, um, and then really, uh, to some of the other things that you mentioned, taking that and really using the data to enable uh, sort of the next generation of your business. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so data data right now is more valuable than a lot of the commodities that are out, out there in in organizations. So it's critical that we can capture the data, that we have some data governance programs. Um, we, we have data-enabled initiatives. Um, and um, it's not just BI. It's not, it's not just analytics. Um, it's important that as we look at the data, we start capturing the data. Uh, we, we put the ownership of the data also on the people that create the data. And we make sure that those individuals maintain the data and they understand that. Um, Data is not an IT asset, it's a business asset. One of the, the things that I still, most of, a lot of organizations struggle is because they look at data as an IT thing, they think, oh, well, it's IT's responsibility. IT doesn't create any data in the company. It's the business, the different functions that create the data. So it's, it's, it's critical for the CIOs and the IT organizations to work close to the business uh, to educate them and help them understand this is your data. Um, these are the, the, the governance rules, or these are the mechanisms and the frameworks we can put in place to try to clean up the data, increase the quality of the data, convert some of the um, bad data into something that we can really use. And then on top of that, we have the analytics, we have the BI, we, we can enable uh, uh, new processes. But that's, that's a process. It's not a one-time, it's not a one-time data cleanup, it's not a one-time exercise, it's a philosophy. And it's something that uh, it's, it's important that the, uh, the IT team, the leadership team, the CIO drives that into the organization, help the business understand and, and get the value from, from that. It's, it's critical for, for success. Everything is going to become data-driven going forward. If we look at automation, the automation is going to execu be executed based on data. So it's important that the data is right so the automation will run. Yeah, one of the other things that you mentioned um, in your, your trends was around working anywhere. Uh, and I think, taking a little bit of a, a turn here, you know, for the, the leadership side of, uh, of executives, how has the, the change in moving to a, a different style of work uh, affected the way that you're, you're leading? And you know, what sort of strategies are you uh, taking on to make sure that uh, your employees are engaged, that you're, you're leading them in the, the way that they need to be led? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different um, style, right? So the, the, you need to adjust to a new style. So, uh, you know, we, we just spent the last, you know, almost two years driving organizations through, through a monitor, through a conference call, through Zoom, uh, WebEx, or, or, or Teams. 
Um, and there is a number of tips that you learn uh, while you go through the process about, you know, how do you keep people engaged while they don't, you don't see them every day. Um, I think one of the, the key thing is uh, you need to constantly focus on um, maintaining that team, uh, operating as a team, and that, that community, uh, uh, feeling of community within the organization. So uh, touching base close to, 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 your, um, to your team, not only to your first direct line, but also people below in the organization. Um, I think at the end of the day, um, it's, you know, we're going to end up in a, a hybrid situation. And I want to see, I want to go back and start seeing people face to face. I want to travel. I think that's important. I, think, I personally think that for, for, for management, for execution, for people's careers, it's important to have face to face interaction. So I think at the end of the day, we're going to end up in a, in a hybrid model. Some of the practices, leadership uh, practices of, of the past are, are still applicable. Um, you know, when we, when we look at the empowering team and what they can do even, even for them to do those things uh, uh, remote. Um, but it's, um, you know, you need, to, you need to keep a pulse on the organization. And you need to make sure that, you know, everybody's engaged, not only the people that's close to you, but when we look at even more, I mean, Gates, for example, as an organization, being in 30 countries, people from APAC, people from the, uh, you know, biggest, biggest distances from, from uh, corporate. They're also engaged and motivated. And I think we need to also find a way to connect, not, not just virtually, but also face-to-face -face once in a while. I think those, those relationships, to, to keep that alive is important. Awesome. Uh, moving over, one of, one of the topics that's near and dear to my heart is identity and access management. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's critical for both IT and security to be effective. What advice do you have you know, from your own experience about making an effective identity and access management program? So um, that is a big, a big topic, um, <laughs> a massive topic. Uh, and I think um, when I look at identity and access management, um, I think it's going to be different for different companies. Uh, so for example, in our case, we, we, we are a manufacturing company. Uh, we have multiple systems going from really legacy systems into modern systems that go into the cloud. So when we look at creating a system that can uh, coordinate uh, access and authentication across such a big um, number of systems, it's a complex. It's a complex uh, challenge to, to resolve. Um, so there are a number of solutions that help with that. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think some of the solutions will also take you to a certain level. And then over time, as you start removing legacy systems and, and building new platforms, you're going to be able to improve and improve over time. So I think in my, in my view about identity and access uh, management, I think it's a journey. I think it's going to be different for each company. My recommendation is sit down and look at the landscape and figure out what's the right plan for, for you. Uh, you may start with simple things like, well, you need to have multi-factor authentication. You need to start from that. Every company now has that. Everybody can enable it. It's not uh, too, too difficult. But then you need to start looking at things that, for example, well, OK, now when somebody connects to the VPN, uh, what access that person is going to have to, I mean, to which applications I'm going to allow that person to connect. And then if I select, OK, this, this individual, for example, needs to connect to those 10 applications, then you go to the next level of detail, which is, OK, to which screens? What are the roles and responsibilities that within this application that person should have access to? So I think you need to be peeling the, the onion one by one, and you're starting building these capabilities. Um, 
But it's important to have a plan, and it's important to understand what is going to work for your company and what's not going to work for your company. Alex, I know you have two more topics left, but we probably have time for one more. Which, one, which one's your favorite, Lou? Um, I'm fine with either of them. I, um, Should we talk diversity? Sure, sounds Go good. Ahead. So I think, I think it's pretty well proven that uh, diverse teams make better teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what is it that, that you've done uh, in building your team to make sure that you have a diverse workforce to help you guys succeed at your goals? Yeah, so diversity is, is, is very critical. So, um, you know, for me coming from, you know, different countries, li li living in different parts of the world, uh, I didn't share this before, I, I have three different passports. So I, um, I'm quite diverse from, uh, from that aspect. And it has always been top of mind for me. Uh, so one of the things that I do is every time I have an opening, an opportunity, uh, not only I look at the skills of the person, but also the diversity and what this person can bring into the team, how, how this person will complement what I already have in the organization. And, and some of the things that, for example, there are small things that we can do to increase diversity in the organization. So for example, one of the things that I'm introducing now at, at, at Gates uh, that we've not done in IT, I've done this in other companies, but not at Gates, is we're gonna start internship programs and rotational programs. So starting in January, we're gonna have people coming from um, different uh, universities that will join our team. So we're gonna have a, a fresh number of, of students that are gonna come into organization. Those students, in many cases, they come from different countries. So they, are, they, have, they also bring certain diversity uh, on them in addition to the fact that it's, it's, it's people that's gonna come with a new pair of eyes into organization. Um, so this is something that I'm very excited about, uh, uh, creating a, a more diverse environment even within my organization right now, um, because that, di that diversity of opinion is what really um, uh, helps you um, come up with new questions and new ways to look at things, and then that's what drives change. People come into organization and say, why are we doing this this way? We should, we, I mean, why don't we try this? And those are the opportunities for us to innovate and to really drive change. So I'm, I'm very passionate about diversity. I think that we have a tremendous opportunity. And uh, as I continue to move forward in the organization, it's something that we're gonna continue to focus on. Awesome. Well, I think we've gotten to the end of our time here. Um, Diego, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to touch on before we're done? Um, no, ju just a comment. I mean, as I said, I mean, I've, I've been in the organization for six months. It's been an amazing uh, journey so far. We will accelerate, as I said, but we have more demand than, than we can, we can, we, we really have people. So, you know, any, you know, if anybody wants to jump into the journey, let me know. It's you're hiring nice, is what you're telling it's us. It's going to be right, a nice, nice ride. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for opening up. Did he do okay, guys? I, I think I think it was fantastic. You did a fantastic job, and it was really good to get to know you. Um, I feel like I, we missed an opportunity to do like a, a newlywed game with you and Dan. Dan Garlic is the CSO for Gates. We I really feel like we missed that opportunity here. Uh, it's but we'll, maybe we'll get you guys later for that. Um, thanks everyone for for listening in. Anything else we should say before we sign off? No, uh, it, this has been great. Thanks everybody. Appreciate Avanta having us here, and, and thanks to Diego. This has been great. All right. Well, that is it. We'll, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you, job. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. 
reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.